بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد سيد الأولين والآخرين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب الشرح صدري ويسر لي أمري وحقوقنا تام لساني يفقه قوري Praise Allah سبحانه وتعالى Send peace and blessings upon our beloved messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam upon his family, his companions and those who follow them until the end of time inshallah we start first with dua uh, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless the people of Yemen who are uh, consistently being subjected to uh, bombs and missiles, uh, chemical weapons from their neighbors, which are purchased from the military industrial complex here in America and then um, imported vis a vis Saudi Arabia. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to uh, you know, bless those people. There's a lot of Sunni quietism for some reason around Yemen, uh, whereas in other issues we tend to be very loud and noisy. Um, they're expecting, you know, millions of children are going to starve to death in the next two months. Um, as we pray for other parts of the world. Um, and also what's happening in Libya, I don't know if you're aware of this. Um, it's, you know, indescribable. Uh, and it puts a lot of pressure on us as a community to somehow explain, which we can't, things that are happening. So we just pray uh, that we can become allies to people in Libya who are being, you know, like put in bondage, man. 2017 uh, by people who have names like Ahmed and Abdullah and Fatima. Uh, may Allah protect them and make us like, you know, if you divorce people's humanity in the name of religion, you're probably in the wrong field. You know, like if religion like justifies me divorcing people's humanity, then probably I'm in the wrong field, right? Justifying hurting them, mistreating them, um, and abusing them. The Prophet said, La darara wa la dirar. Right? There's no harm. In Islam, and there's no reciprocation of harm. So we pray for those people. Our brother Khalid, uh, Imam Khalid, is sick, uh, so we pray for him that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will cure him. Like, Imam Khalid is the only person that texts. He's like, "I'm having heavy breathing. I'm gonna go home. I'm like, go to the doctor." <laughs> like, if I like stub my toe, yo, I'm going to the like, emergency room, man. I'm white, man. <laughs> Freaked out, man. White fright, right? <laughs> Imam Khalid's like, you know, I'm having heavy breathing. He's going to make some tea. <laughs> to go to the mercy room, man. So we pray for him that Allah, you know, will cure him, inshallah. Um, pray for our families. Pray for our hearts. Uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yaftah sudurana, inshallah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala open our hearts uh, and soften our hearts and help us throughout this week uh, as we continue to kind of trek along. Trek along. Uh, and we pray for this country, inshallah, and this city. Uh, we uh, were going over Sotul Hujurat, and a lot of people were like saying that they just had questions. So tonight is going to be like, if you ever listen to Dr. Drew, this is like question and answer night. Um, but before we just open the floor to questions, especially a lot of people online tune in, and they feel sometimes, you know, it's hard to raise your hand when you're on Facebook. Um, but it's very important that you have access, you can ask questions, you should feel comfortable. Um, but let's just kind of reflect on the chapter a little bit, and then we'll open it up to any type of questions that you have, inshallah. And I apologize for being late. I just drove from D.C. and just, just got into to Brooklyn and tried to park, as you know, uh, at 559 <laughs> in Brooklyn. So basically, I was making tawaf like seven times, and then I found, alhamdulillah, a blessed place to park my car. My wife actually did. Um, but this chapter we said is called the chapter of etiquette. Surah al is named after 
the, the apartments of the Prophet ﷺ, we said that this chapter was sent at the end of the Medina period. And there's a lot of things that come out of this chapter, but the primary focus is character, and also deals with some issues like community policy. We talked about that a little bit before. Um, the beginning of the chapter talks about our engagement with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's really three etiquettes with Allah. Number one is Islam. I, I willingly submit to God. Number two is Iman, that I find within that submission pleasure. Right? So I move from like, yo, I got to pray Fajr. Like, yo, I can't wait to pray Fajr. Right? I got that Game of Thrones excitement for Fajr. You know what I mean? I got that, you know, Patriots versus the Giants excitement for Fajr. Right? And that's how we know we love the dunya when we're more excited for Black Friday than Light Friday. Light Friday is Juma. You know what I'm saying? That's how we know where we are. And that's why Imam al-Mahasabi, he said, you know, if you want to know your relationship with God, then know his relationship with you. Right? If you want to know if you're important to God, then ask yourself right, how important he is to you. doesn't mean we're perfect, right? But we all have those things. Like, I found out the sex Celtics were playing tonight. I was like, yo, I think I'm a cancel class. <laughs> you know, like, all of us have, because we know they are the greatest team in the NBA at this moment. Mashallah. Um, don't make another of my team, man. But the point is, like, we all struggle with that. None of us can claim to be free of that kind of stuff, right? Allah said, your property and your kids can be a trial for you, right? If, if it gets you out of the set, the set of priorities. Some people read that the wrong way. It doesn't mean neglect our wealth and our kids, but we can't allow our wealth and our families to consume us to the point where we're negligent of our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sometimes it happens, but usually. And then after that, after the level of Islam is pleasure, that internal, so Iman is like an emotional thing, it's like a psychological thing. We talked about this before, if people are going through depression, people are going through certain type of real challenges, then Allah is merciful, right? Sometimes people put a lot of pressure on themselves, but maybe I'm not able to have that moment because of trauma in the past. Right? Maybe there's a clinical component to the challenge of Iman. And that's real. And that's acceptable. That's going to happen. We go through phases in our life. Right? And then the highest level of our relationship with God is Ihsan. And ta'budullah ka'anna To worship Allah like you see Him. Even though you can't see Him, at least you know He sees you. And the same thing with Sayyidina Muhammad sallam is to submit to the teachings of our beloved messenger peace be upon him and then ultimately to find and this is a process like I really worry about how we approach education in the, in the, in the Muslim community because of our recent history in this country uh, especially our educational history has been kind of broken there was like some older teachers back in the days we had some great work like the Clara Muhammad schools things kind of got discombobulated and we're struggling but education is a process like we can never forget that you know, like, in Islam is really a process of becoming. That's why Allah says, وَلَا تَمُوتُنَّ إِلَّا وَأَنْتُمْ مُسْلِمُونَ You know, like, don't, don't die as a Muslim. Like, it's it's going to take you a long time to get this right, you know. And, hey, Sanaikum. Good to see you. How you doing? Good. MashaAllah. And, and, uh, and at times, we tend to want to rush, like, yo, I'm going to take this class with Suhaib on one day and learn Ihsan. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> It's like, you know, going to like a quarterback camp and saying you became like, you know, the greatest quarterback in history in one day. 
It doesn't happen that way. People ask me, how did you memorize the Quran? I said, by forgetting the Quran. You know, if you never forgot it, right? <laughs> That's what pushed you to memorize it better, like to master it, right? It's failure. So sometimes Imam Ibn Ta'ala Iskandari says something powerful. He says, sometimes out of a mercy, Allah lets you sin. Because that sin will motivate you to like come back. Don't use this as an excuse. Talk to myself. But what he's saying is, if that happens in your life, you can look back. Don't let the sin destroy you. See it as being something that maybe gave you the capacity to realize, I need God to get over this. I can't do it myself. So with the Prophet Sallallahu there's that initial cognition. That's Islam. You know, I follow Muhammad Sallallahu And then there's finding pleasure, redemption, value, understanding, and loving him. So the Mawlid is next week on December 5th, inshallah. That's an opportunity to kind of like rekindle that emotional connection with the Prophet. I told one time a young girl, you know, Prophet Muhammad loves you. She started crying. She said, no one ever told me Prophet loved me. Prophet Muhammad loves me? He said, what? And I, I mentioned this hadith about the later Ummah, how the Prophet said he loved them. I mean, our community sometimes can't find redemption through Allah and his Prophet. It's very difficult. The Prophet said, I'm the Prophet of mercy. And then there's Ihsan. And actually, you guys, I was talking to my wife about this. We were saying, Like the messenger is in you. And some of you shared some really powerful thoughts on that verse. Like, you know, you all have the ability to follow prophetic guidance. Like it's in your DNA. Right? And that's embodying prophetic teachings as though the prophet is with us. And that's why the beginning of the chapter says something awesome. It says, Bainiyadeh is now. You are Bainiyadeh. You are in my presence. So Allah uses in Arabic, He says, La tuqaddimu, don't put anything forward when you are physically in, in the presence of the Prophet. We know that that was talking to Abu Bakr and Umar. But if you reach a level of ihsan, you are spiritually in the presence of Allah and His Messenger. Now you see something beautiful about the chapter. So as though it's encouraging us to reach that higher level of ihsan with Allah. And ihsan with Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The second, and this is the, the, you know, kind of the broader discussion, is that the chapter talks about our character with our community. You know, being, being in a community is a deliberate act. You know, sometimes I think we just fall into masjids. You know, like, okay, I live in this community, I guess I'll go to that masjid. Whereas, like, I believe masjid in America, Islamic centers, need to have, like, a membership model for a number of reasons. One is for political agency. When I was in Boston and we would go politicians and ask for things like eBay. They would ask us, how many members does your church have? We don't have membership, man. We have shahada. Like, what? Martyrdom? I was like, oh, man. Like, witnesses. <laughs> There's another meaning to that word, right? But we weren't able to back up the numbers that we had politically to kind of create the idea that we are a legitimate community. So we even had a brother in Boston that studied the travel on the trains on the day of Eid, and he said the Muslims are making this much revenue on Eid day because everybody's jumping on the train to get to the masjid. Like, we are a revenue-creating community. I wonder in New York what the subway business looks like, you know, on E-Day. But then they were like, that's incredible. We never thought about your... Right? So we're able to substantiate numbers. And that also implies that we need to be, like, deliberate members. Like, there's a code of ethics. I can't, like, abuse someone because they're not dressed properly. I can't throw someone out because they pray differently than me. I can't... Uh, mistreat someone because they're from a different ethnicity than I am or you know they're just like they don't know much 
that's like a, a set of community guidelines that we've agreed on because community is common unity. So the idea of deliberate community implies that I take, for example, I believe board members on mosques in America should take courses in conflict resolution. I think they have to because, like, we end up just, like, you go to communities, like, yeah, there's this mosque, and then we, like, open, like, ten more mosques because these people got in a fight with each other over something like where to put the wudu room. So out of that, we replicated resources, wasted money, split the community, weakened our ranks, whereas conflict, as we said, is conflict transformation, as I remember I was corrected, can be very powerful. So we learn how to engage one another, and the first part of the chapter talks about engaging one another in the face of news information. There's a great op-ed today in the Washington Post about how do you like filter all the information that you're getting nowadays. It's very difficult. And then we talked about the idea of sinners and redemption. We're all sinners. Like, ain't nobody here, as far as I know, I'll speak for myself, you know, like, perfect. So how do we engage within ourselves the capacity to forgive ourselves, right? And create that relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then be responsible with people around us who may be struggling, may be challenged. And then we talked about the idea of policy, that we can't condemn people in the community if we're not giving them remedies and, or at least access to resources that they can find redemption. For example, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, uh, sexual abuse, trauma. These are very serious challenges that impact the Muslim community. I think I get a message at least twice a week from someone that has a substance abuse issue within the Muslim community. And then we talked about the idea of major sins and that believers can commit major sins. And we find the verse when Allah says, Right? Allah says, when the believers meet and fight. And the word here is kill each other. And we know that the Prophet Muslim kufr. You know, to kill a Muslim is disbelief. So we talked about how this verse was used by theologians to talk about the idea that Muslims can fall into major sins. Muslims will, in fact, fight each other, perhaps, unfortunately, Allah protect us. And then we had a sister that shared like a really brilliant reflection who said, well, maybe also it's a warning that even though you're a believer, you may slip and have the potential if you don't watch your nafs and watch your sense of hubris and keep yourself in check, right? You could slip and actually really harm someone even though you still are in a state of faith. That was a very powerful reflection that she gave. And now that takes us to tonight, and we're just going to share a brief reflection, and then we'll open up for anything you want to ask, inshallah ta'ala. Tonight is like a free for all, inshallah. Allah says, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ ikhwa." After talking about, you know, the believers fighting and how, you know, there is a way to try to... And we talked about how فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَهُمَا Allah didn't prescribe the idea of conflict transformation. He left it to communities because conflict is something very combustible. It's something that requires nuance, temperance. It requires familiarity with society, cultural optics, you name it. I'll give you an example. I was with a sheikh once, and he was giving a lecture, and he was like, you know, I don't know why these brothers in America were thobes. Why did the brothers in America were thobes? This is America. Like, stuff a lot, brothers. You need to, like, wear some suits. Right? And I was like, Sheikh, nobody wears suits, man. Like, that's old school. Like, you watch a madman, I don't know. <laughs> so then we were in we were in a, a masjid in South Chicago. And this brother came to him, he's a convert brother, and he he lives there and he said, Sheikh, like in my neighborhood, if you don't wear a thobe, you could get shot. 
Like in my neighborhood, one of the only ways you can stay out of being in the vice lords or the folk, these gangs, is if you're Muslim. So for me, the thobe is about survival. And then the sheikh said, oh, okay, you wear thobes. <laughs> you, you wear, so he understands here that when Allah says, فَأَصْلِحُ بَيْنَهُمَا and, and, and very rarely, a Shatabi is a great jurist, Andalusian, does the Qur'an get into the specifics of cultural issues. Because it appreciates and understands that these things are often best negotiated by people on the ground. So it doesn't say like, you know, this is how you should solve this problem. It says, you solve it. We have an axiom in Qur'an that says any uh, ambiguous or any, any general verse which isn't defined that speaks to a problem is left to urf, is left to custom. And that's why the Maliki say, al-urfu kashart, that, you know, the custom became like a condition in the application of the idea that you're talking about. And, 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 and multiple axioms on this issue. And then the next verse says, inna mal ikhwa, that believers are brothers and sisters. Only thing I'm going to talk about tonight briefly, because we'll talk more about this verse next week, is sometimes people think that this verse, because it says innama, which means only, right? It's used to show something specific, it's called al-hasr. Some people think that it means like, so we're not believers with other people. As though we're somehow, or we're not brothers with other people and sisters. As though somehow we're like successfully holding it down. <laughs> I'm saying like, we're just doing a great job internally, right? But... Some people may use this verse to say or justify like we don't share, this is ridiculous, like brotherhood with other people who aren't Muslim. And, and by extension, I get this question a lot from Snapchat, the young, young, young guys, on, young girls, young men and women on Snapchat who ask really most, mostly very brilliant questions. You know, can I be friends with non-Muslims? I remember in Boston, I'm saying this with respect, two illustrious universities, which we will not name, in, in Cambridge um, <laughs> their freshman class the first halaqa that they had was like the parameters can we be friends with non-Muslims I said how'd you get into college Who, who's your advisor right obviously you know and, and this is not to blame these young people right the, the, this is an incubation process this is an acculturation that's happened and oftentimes people use the verse Don't take Jews and Christians as awliya They translate awliya as friends Awliya is not astiqa Awliya are people like in war It's like Ramsey Bolton I partner with him to take you out That's my wali But astiqa is friends That's why Sheikh Muhammad Ali Sayyid Great legal theorist He died in Egypt He said This doesn't mean like Mu'ashara uh, amma Like just being with people in a normal way but this verse also is misused by people and it's harmful, especially to people that are thinking about converting. I had a sister that reached out to me on Instagram. She's interested in converting and she's like, I don't know, like, can I still be friends with my mom? It's like, man, who are you talking to, man? Like, where are you getting this information from? And, and, and by the way, that ignorance is a benign, it's a benign form of, of problematic literalism. It's benign, but it's problematic because it does hurt people. But if we go, for example, to the Qur'an, we let the Qur'an speak for itself. And we need to be a community that believes in its scripture. Uh, oftentimes we restrict the potential of scripture in the name of protecting orthodoxy. I have a problem with that. Scripture is orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is constructive. 
But the Quran says, وَإِلَى مَدِيًا أَخَاهُمْ شُعِيبًا In Surah Qasas, Allah says, We sent to Madian their brother Shu'ib. أَخَاهُمْ شُعِيبًا were the, were the people of Madian, did they become Muslim? Like awliya of Allah? Like would you have seen the people of Madian like at Isna? Were they like, you know, hanging out? Or did they actually reject and refuse to accept his message? That's my question. Come on, man, Thursday nights. We they rejected the everything, yes. They rejected Shu'aib. So that would make them what? Like, they're kufar. Yeah. They're rejectors of faith. Even though they're rejectors of faith, what does Allah call them? His brothers. Right? So it's right there in the Quran in front of us. And that's why I tell people, you know, for fatwa, yeah, you know, start reading Quran, like making fatwa and doing all kind of crazy stuff, right? But just like, we should be able to have a relationship with the Quran in a way that calibrates a personal kind of like GPS for us to make some decisions in our life. Like, I shouldn't read, like, you know, to Madi and their brother Shu'aib, and then be like, but I don't know, I heard Suhaib say, we can't be brothers with non-Muslims and sisters. It's in Quran. Right? It's right there. So that's why most scholars say that the, the, the brotherhood really falls, or sisterhood, fraternity, if you will, uh, falls under, like, two designations. Number one is what's called al-Ukhuwa ad-Diniya, right? Our fraternal relationships based on religion. That actually has a number of responsibilities that are much more specific than others. The Prophet said, Muslim sit, right? The rights of a Muslim are six. The second is what's called al-ukhuwa al-amma, is that universal fraternity, right? Where as a human being, I live with people and I look after what's beneficial, I protect them from harm, I'm invested in their lives in a good way. There's been some challenges to this, and one of them is the construction of Dar al-Islam and Dar al-Harb, the land of war, the land of peace. And you find even in some books of fiqh, you know, لا ربا بين مسلم وكافري في درب حرب. Right? There's like, you can basically do haram in the land of war. Um, it's a weak opinion, by the way, in that, in that school of thought. But this is a construction. I think we talked about this before. The idea of the land of war and the land of peace is not on Quran and Sunnah. It didn't come from the four imams. It comes way after. It's the Samuel... Right, Huntington of his era is Muhammad al-Shaybani, not to disrespect him with Samuel Huntington. But the point is, he has a political theory. His political theory is, the world is divided into two. The land of Islam, the land of war. This caught fire and spread everywhere. And it, it became a construction, which most later jurists and theologians deconstructed, analyzed, and said is nonsense. But you'll find two people, and I found this with Sam Harris, as well as uh, Baghdadi. You find these two extremes always interpret Islam exactly the same. Right? ISIS and the Islamophobes, they go to the same Sheikh. I don't know who that Sheikh is. Sheikh Shadid. Sheikh Shadid al Ra'i. And what's interesting is they both always have the same conclusions. And one of them is this the argument that Muslims can't live in the West, to be part of a Western society, or anywhere in the world, is land of war, land of peace. It's not allowed to be here. Well, that's also a weak opinion. On the other side of people like Anwar Awlaqi and ISIS was that, you know, you can't live in America, somehow it makes you over the West, somehow it makes you a worse Muslim, you shouldn't be invested, you should be here like you're just hanging out for the weekend, it's like Vegas, when you're done, you've cashed into the American dream, you got to dip back with your earnings. What that did is, is that, and alhamdulillah, our community didn't buy this nonsense, 
but it can lead to a lack of real investment in the communities that we live in if we buy into this. Allah says, So the thought here is that, alhamdulillah, we have a religious relationship that we share with one another, and we'll unpack that in the future in Tasawwuf. And also we have a relationship, for those of us who have non-Muslim parents, man, right, non-Muslim relatives, non-Muslim friends, right, these are very real considerations. Like, th these, these descriptions have problems for people, uh, if not handled responsibly. So we'll stop here. Now we're going to open it up for any questions. It's on you guys to ask anything. Uh, what we take from right, is the relationship we have as brothers and sisters. And that will be defined as the chapter continues. And then the last type of brotherhood and sisterhood is defined. Oh, humanity, we made you from nations and tribes toward the end of the chapter. Insha'Allah. Any questions? And our people are... are Brothers and sisters on Facebook, if you have any questions, as long as they're not bad or harsh or difficult, uh, Brenda's here. <clears throat> She's ready to read those questions out and make it happen, inshallah. <coughs> yes, sir. I think that one of the most common issues our community faces as to what creates harshness and what creates really problems is people don't understand the concept of different of opinions and differences of opinions in Islam and not just the concept theoretically but what issues are subject to differences of opinions right so for me I guess over the past few years as I've gained more of an understanding of what issues fall under that like, I think one of the struggles is finding some kind of resource that helps you understand, like, in the contemporary sense of 2017 New York City, like, these are the things you shouldn't be going around telling people, like, you need to do it my way or it's, like, not right. And I'm wondering what, what are the best ways to, like, get that knowledge as to, you know, these are the things. I mean, that, that's my frustration when I converted. I mean, I'm a guy from Oklahoma. I'm from Oklahoma. Anyone here been to Oklahoma? Now, Oklahoma is not New York City. Like, just let me just, like... It's better. I mean, it depends if you're looking for barbecue. No, Norman was the... What community was it? Norman is nice. That's where I became Muslim. But it's still not, you know, like, New York City, man. New York City, you could, like, pray Fajr, walk out, and there's, like, a halal cart. Make it, like... You're like, okay, I had a turkey bacon. Um, nah, I ain't no turkey bacon. But point is, like, when I converted, like, it was very, very difficult to access this knowledge that I would find imams, uh, learned people were much more mature and nuanced, right? And sometimes I'd, like, I actually thought my Quran teacher was, like, a sellout. I was like, this dude's too easy. Like, he's, like, heck relaxed, right? And, and I began to question him, even though he's like, yeah, my sister taught me 14 karat when I was 9. I'm from Senegal. I memorized the Mwata when I was 14. I was like, dude's a buster. <laughs> you know, like, I memorized the 40 hadith, dude. I'm like, in the Malamadubiniyat, dude got Mu'atta like he got his last name. <laughs> then I had a sheikh from Somalia, Sheikh Abdurrahman al Ta'ir, who, like, was Duxi style. And same thing with him. I was like, he knows so much, but, like, he's just so chill. And that's what I, that's what I began to ask myself. There has to be something besides the top 40 play playlists, man. Like, there's got to be some indie to this, you know? So that compelled me to go and leave and go and study. Right? I, I would never encourage you to do this. My goal was to focus on a certain field. I say that it's a challenge in the American Muslim community. 
to have access to the richness of our, our heritage because we don't have enough things translated, man. And our experiences are still like outside of the black community and the communities that came before them that have, many of them have disintegrated. Um, we don't have like a lot of history and experience even with the knowledge. So it's tough, bro. You know, it, it's not an easy situation. Um, on my end, I'm just trying to, like, try, the second book just finished two days ago. It's not the copy editor, right? Like, just trying to put stuff out there for people. That's why we started, if you remember, SuhaiWeb.com back in the Disney's, right? One of the goals was, like, let's give people access to things that may challenge them to think differently. And immediately, these people are modernist. These people are changing Islam. You know what I'm saying? These people are out to destroy our dean. You know, like, they said I can, like, talk to a girl, dude. Like, oh, the law, right? Uh, we had a gay Muslim first ever write about what it's like to be gay and be practicing in the Muslim community and struggle with it. And, and people went crazy. We're like, listen, this person reached out to us and said, I want to write this op-ed. I said, I'm not going to stop him. Right? Same time we had very religious people on the other side of the fence, right? The whole nail polish halal thing that was on that website, right? I didn't write that article. Everybody asked me, I did not write that article. <laughs> nail polish does not breathe, man. You go to Sephora, you cannot hear it breathing. Um, I was my wife I was like, baby, I it's like breathing. Nail polish is breathing up in there. But that's why we had that initially was just to expose people to like a richer, not always correct, we made mistakes. Like I made mistakes. But just to give them like a broader exposure. I think Muslim Matters tries to do, you know, a pretty good job. A seeker's guidance is good. But, but traditional education takes time. And I think the greater challenge for the Muslim community is after-school programs for young people. Because I can't afford to send my kids to Islamic school, bro. That, that right there, there's the college out the window. At least their freshman year. Um, and then I think robust, like, weekend schools that have, like, a proper curriculum. Like a Darsh Nizam. You go to Pakistan or Darsh Nizam? Like, what's the Darsh Nizam? Nizami of America. And then, more importantly, is education for young professionals and families. Like, how do how, I, I like weekend courses, I like conventions, but I feel like when I walk out of those things, this is how I felt. Like, it's like I just tasted something that I'm not really able to, you know, map it. So, Thursday night, what we do on Thursday night is really to open up the window and show people hey, these are like 11 courses that people studied traditionally. Here's like just a little taste. So that first book, Essentials of the Islamic Faith, is like a basic text that's in one of those 11 subjects, right? Again, emergent literacy. So I'd say, you know, you gotta, you gotta find people, man. Like, I always would try to go to cities. I found Sheikh Abdul Rahman Ta'ir. You know, I was in the Bay Area, and I was like, I'm looking for, like, someone who's, like, super smart and knows Arabic. And I was like, this Somali guy right there. So I went up to him, I started talking to him. I found out he went to my college, same university, Azhar. You know, he passed away, rahimahullah, but, like, I just got it. Another thing is, like, Sister Mary Amir was my student. Maybe some of you know her. I told her, man, don't let men use gender not to teach you. Like, you just have to be uncompromisingly rude sometimes. So I told a sheikh in Oklahoma, I'm going to complain to Allah about you if you don't teach me. I said it. And I was like, I'm, I'm a convert, man. Like, I got I to gotta get this from my folks. My folks are going to vote crazy people into office, right? They're lunatics. These people believe the earth is flat and that there are no dinosaurs, okay? And that coal is the future. Like, this is a problem, right? These people need deen. And I said to him, I was like, if you don't teach me, I will complain to Allah. He's like, go grab a pen and paper. 
I mean, I don't think adab is to be so shy that, you know, you allow people to get around what they're supposed to be doing. So it's a challenge, man. I mean, I think it'd be great if there's a resource for like 40 things. These are like common. These have different opinions. You shouldn't be arguing about it, right? Like from meat to like music to like Halloween to like, you know, like certain things like you don't mess with. These are help. things you don't need to argue about. That's That'd be like an awesome book. <laughs> like, yeah, like that would be incredible because like so many people take the verse of like forbid evil and promote good and they don't understand like conditions. Yeah, it's something that's right? different like, over is not evil. Like it's not designated as evil. But, like, if you don't know what's evil or not, like, definitively, like, how are you going to engage that? You like, Marvel, I mean? DC. Like, that's not evil. Well, maybe. <laughs> but I'm saying, like... So, let me give you an example. Just listen to this. I'll, 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 I'll illustrate it for you right now. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Sabbihisma rabbika al-a'la. That's one riwayah. Sabbihisma rabbika al-a'la. What's called sat. You stop after the a. Right? Sabbihisma rabbika al-a'la. These are three different, two of them are hafs, one of them is wash, right? You didn't hear scholars fighting over how they read Quran. This is, this is second, first century stuff happening where they recognize the Quran can be recited differently and didn't kill each other about it. Like, where's our exposure to even just our book itself? Siratul Mustaqim, Ziratul Mustaqim. Both are sahih. Scholars didn't argue and fight over the Qiraat. So one of my teachers used to say, the Qur'an has so much barakah that even if the Muslims were exposed to just the idea of how we got the Qira'at, they would not fight him about religious issues. Right? It's right there. It's in our fundamental text in front of us. You, you, you tend to learn about this maturity of differences when you engage scholarship, right? They have respect for differences. And, and that's a process, and that's unfortunate. So maybe we should write a book like don't fight over this, fight over this. There was actually a scholar that did this in the second or third century, Imam Ibn Mundiri. He wrote a book called Al Ijma Wal Ikhtilaf. Al Ijma, right? Things that people agree on that you, you, you have to fight over was that big. That book is literally that big. It's five pages. The book on issues where there's differences and you, 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 you shouldn't fight over it, Al Ikhtilaf, was this big. That's in the second century. So now I'm sure that second book will be like, I'm saying like encyclopedia, man. But when we when we first engage with religious literacy, the book of agreements is this big, and the book of legitimate disagreements is that big. And as we learn, this gets smaller, and this gets bigger, and this gets smaller, and this gets bigger. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yeah, he was the former dean of the College of Law in Azhar. Oh. Yeah, one of the great scholars. But he's not the only one who said it. Just I was exposed to it. No, 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 no. You referred to like some modern reference that I did not get. That's him. No, like Robert, I think. Or yeah. Like You're giving an example of like. I mean, you know, ask someone. I don't know. No, okay, but that's not what I was getting at. I was getting okay. at how were you defining. No, astiqa is not akhi. Akhi is like a brother. That's, that's a family relationship. But awliya has nothing to do with friendship. The word awliya is someone that I, I partner with them in war to fight you. That's not a friend. So Allah said, don't take them in this way. Don't sell out your fellow brother 
like what happened in Spain, they sold out Muslims and partnered with Ferdinand and Isabella, and now you can't, you know what I'm saying, you can get like shawarma in Spain. Friendship is friendship. So yes, yes, sir, Uncle G. Olia, Olia has just two meanings, like? Olia doesn't mean friends at all. I don't say hello, Wali. That's my friend. Wali is friend. No. Wali is protector. Because they're, they're, they're like protected by God. They have this sir with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what's Ali and Waliullah mean? Ali and Waliullah means like he reached a maqam where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took him under his protection. Hafidahu. That's Sharik. Partner of Sharik. I wanted to comment on the thing uh, brother just said. Um, regarding to know what knowledge or how to differentiate between the, the difference of opinion only if it's a valid difference of opinion. Now, for instance, there's a different opinion to praise Allah but keeping your hands straight. That's a valid one. Keeping your hand like this is a valid one. If someone says you don't have to even have to pray, now there are two opinions. Two are considered different opinion. One is not even considered different opinion because it's not bad like that. You don't have to respect it for, for raising Yeah, I mean, I think everyone here, no disrespect to you, like, has that basic understanding, right? We're talking about difference of opinion is held like by valid sources, right? Valid sources. Yeah, yeah, of course. Like our community that's, is that's very basic. intelligent; they get that. Okay. Um, but at the same time, a mufti and a scholar, and that's what local scholars. I say scholars are like tech support. Um, they may actually hold a weak opinion, opinion which is even shed, strange, to be strong in specific situations for people, right? Because their, their situation may stimu stipulate that. Now, the non-scholar will get upset. Don't get upset. It's not your job, dude. Like, that's his, her job. His, that's what they train to do, right? So I'll give you an example of this. I got put on blast for this. The Maliki Medhab says you can pray in the restroom. This is the Maliki Medhab. This is Makru. Right? What do you tell a convert that if they pray in front of their family, they're going to get beat? Where do you tell them to pray? Backyard. There's dogs back there. I did this. I converted once. I went to the backyard. There's dogs there. I was like, oh my God, he wasn't praying, man. <laughs> dogs all over the place, man. Right? And dogs don't have toilets. You know what I'm saying? So what do you tell that convert to do? So a mufti, what's called fatwa khas, that's why I have a problem with internet answers may have to give an answer based on an opinion that is normally considered strange or even weak. But the, the, the surrounding circumstances make that opinion stronger. The Prophet actually did this when he did not rebuild the Kaaba on the foundations of Ibrahim. That's, a, that's the strong opinion because the Prophet chose it, right? But if you look at it logically, you got, you got Mecca. Now rebuild the Kaaba as it was supposed to be by Satan Ibrahim. Why does he do that? Because he said, those people just accepted Islam. I'm not trying to create drama he takes this into consideration, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, right? So now, my problem with, with people is when they want to say, you know, Islamic law is fixed in concrete, especially on social issues like that, where it was never fixed in concrete. And that's what scholarship does for us. You don't have to agree with the scholar, but engaging them, engaging him or her will like bring a lot of life to it. So at times, even in that situation, the mufti, I'll give you an example in Egypt right now when I worked in Dar Ifta. In traditional Sunni Muslim communities, divorce is done without witnesses. In Sunni Muslim communities, right? Whereas in the Shia community, 
a condition for talaq is what? Is witnesses. Now in Egypt, they begin to debate the idea of adopting that opinion because you have chaos in the court system. Where people are coming and saying, my husband divorced me, and he's like, I didn't divorce her. So now you have like a sense of chaos, and she's saying, look, he divorced me three times. I got a, I got a boat. I don't want to stay with him anymore, and I need to get paid. And of course, because there's a financial issue, we conveniently forget the divorce. Now, I don't think I divorced her, I remember that. Right, so now you find scholars in Dala Ifta, before it was you know, appropriated by Sisi, which is ISIS backwards, <laughs> saying what? That we need to bring witnesses in divorce and you divorce in front of us. Because we don't know now. That was traditionally a weak opinion that was rejected. And so I asked one of the scholars in Dar Ifta, I said, man, how are you going to do this? He said, 100 years ago, we didn't get married with paper. Like there was a big brouhaha about having people walk in and sign an aqid. Just like now there's people going to be upset that you come in in front of a court system, you go through a court system, and that's how the divorce works. I said, man, that's smart. So here's an example of an opinion that was initially considered extremely weak, but because of a predominant social challenge, becomes strong and doesn't affect the foundations of religion. It doesn't affect like tawheed and salah and fasting. Yes. Yes, ma'am. So you threw that side comment about the nail polish. So are you oh, saying Lord that? Have mercy. I have to ask. I have to ask a basic question. But are you saying that breathable nail polish is not like? No, I breathable nail polish is allowed. It breathes. With with wudu. Are you saying it's wudu is not acceptable? Necessitate that. CPR on my nails. So no. What? So no. What? Is it like? Why are you trying to read my answer? I didn't say anything. Important. Did you bring coffee for everybody? No. Okay, it's not fine. Coffee. I shouldn't answer your question. No, go ahead. What? So is wudu like permissible with the breathable nail? Breathable yeah, yeah, nail it's polish? alive. It's breathing. <laughs> According to Sheikh Mustafa Omar, who I trust, uh, is a very brilliant guy out in LA. He did this whole YouTube video on it. He has the Inglat guy in the video with him. <laughs> so, that and eyebrows, man, that's the most common question I get. Yes, yes, brother. Um, what, what's the balance for God for asking for something good in this world without wanting something bad inflicted upon you? So, what do you mean? For instance, like, like this world I feel like has a theme of good things happen but through uh, struggle. So, for instance, how can I ask for patience, which I would want, or strength, but Right, that's a great test. I mean, a great question. So the brother, I have to repeat for uh, Facebook folks, like, he's saying, you know, like, you want patience or you want wisdom, but maybe you don't necessarily want the prerequisite tests <laughs> <laughs> that would accompany being Frodo and leaving your house, right, and then ultimately finding your identity and what's really precious. Um... <laughs> I mean, I, I, we're gonna have we're gonna talk about this. Uh, we have a seminar next year on theodicy. You know, like, why do bad things and good things happen? I mean, I can't. I don't have an answer to that. 
Um, but I would say that I would also ask Allah to let me trust the process. So that's why I say, Right? Don't test us beyond what I can, what we can handle. Right? So I think I would say, you know, Allahumma sabbarani. You know, Allah, teach me patience, but like, don't break me. I think that's a very real dua to make. Like, oh Allah, give me wisdom, but don't give me more than I can handle. Right? And if I feel like I can't handle it, let me learn and appreciate the challenge that I went through. And, and we talked about this, I think, one time here. Like, man, y'all gotta love yourself, man. Like, it's super, super important. All through my divorce, I hated myself. It's very hard. To, to find the capacity in this community, when you go through some family challenges, man, to find anybody that will love you, especially if you're an imam. Because they're like, you, you're supposed to be super dude. Yeah, I'm, I'm made of flesh and bones. Like, I screw up like everybody else. Right? Like, I miss my jumper once. So, <laughs> but like, I realize sometimes Muslims, like, we don't really, like, we don't love ourselves, man. So then we're not really able to, like, embrace Sometimes failure is a great personal trainer. You know, and maybe that test is good because you're able to gain the confidence to say, like, I could do this. I didn't believe I could do this before. So I think it ultimately, dua is rooted in trust. Right? And believing, like, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not put me in a situation I can't handle. And if I find myself in a situation that I can't handle, asking him to give me insight. Right? And I would, I would, in those kind of situations, it's easier said than done, but say something like, oh, Allah, I'm having trouble understanding this. It's like really breaking me. Like, can you just show me? Like, can you crack the window for me? <laughs> can I see the light at the end of the tunnel, man? And I don't think that that's a moment. I think that's a process. It's like learning to love ourselves is a process. Learn to care about ourselves. Not being narcissistic or stuck in egotism, but just having a basic sense of value and caring for ourselves in a way that we give ourselves redemption when we screw up. Not going crazy and making mistakes and being heedless, but in the natural process of being a young person in America or wherever I am, and I'm going to mess up. Why would the Prophet say, أَحَبُّ الْخَلَائِقِ إِلَى اللَّهِ شَابٌ تَائِبٌ Why would the Prophet say, like, the most beloved person to God is a young person who comes back to God and repents to God? Why would he say that, man? Because it's hard. Right? And then you talk about, like, the frustration of not being able to sight map really what it means to be a Muslim in some ways. There's a lot of smoke and mirrors there. I, I tell people conversion is like walking in the house without the electric bill paid at 2 o'clock in the morning. And all the shutters are shut. <laughs> it's like, it's like, like, I think that's the fridge. Wait, that's a mousetrap. You know, like, you know, there's a process. And in that process, we make mistakes. So I think in that, in that vein, trusting the voyage, man. You know what I mean? Like, being able to get to that point where I trust that voyage. It's hard, man. It's tough. Nobody said it's easy. Yes. Yeah, sure. Um, I have another question, but on that point, I just read an article on the like psychologically, self love helps reduce a person's ego more. Um, so, I mean, I don't know like the full the full process behind it, but I imagine, like you said, it's because it makes the process of accepting one's failure easier, um, and using that as like a proactive process to improve oneself. 
uh, it just kind of like increases the humility of a person. And broken people break people. Uh, although, although, you know, and I'll let Hada talk about this, but there is therapeutic value to being a servant after you've gone through trauma. That's clinically proven. Um, but I, I, I think to love, you have to love yourself a little. You know, not, not to the point where I'm like, you know, stand in front of the mirror all the time. Um, but yeah. Um, my question was about the ayah, was it 221? So I know like in Islam, like a Muslim guy is allowed to marry non-Muslim women, but a Muslim woman is not allowed to marry a non-Muslim guy. But the ayah like seems pretty clear to me. It says, So like where did that interpretation come from? Because it sounds pretty contradictory to this ayah. Because mushrikat means kuffar, any kaf. So they, they interpreted Amma, and also the actions of the Sahabiyat, like Umm Sulaim, who when someone wanted to marry her, she said no, yani, until you become Muslim. But I'm of the opinion that Muslim men should not marry non-Muslim women in the society. Haram, or like... I ain't gonna say haram, because it's crazy, I'll get in trouble, but I'm, but I'm, I'm not trying to get myself like thrown in the dishwasher, you know what I mean? <laughs> but I believe it's very problematic, number one, we have a lot of Muslim women that are single. And number two is, I have, I have very rarely seen it work. Man. Like I, I'm not saying this to be uh, on both sides. It's been unfair to both sides, right? Where where you've got child issues. Oh yeah, baby, you can raise a Muslim, and then Christmas comes around. I don't know about you know. Or you can raise it. You know, Christian, I don't have a problem. And then he comes around at home. He goes through a midlife crisis, and now he's like got a test being a thobe, and he's going to Umrah, and he's taking Richard. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then mom is like, but you told me like you know he could go to like A and E, and now he's. So I, I just haven't seen it work. Um, and I'm not saying for people that have made it work, God bless you. I'm not telling you you're doing something evil and you're going to hell. I just really encourage people to think about the ramifications of this on your family, on your traditions. Just a lot of things happen there that it becomes very hard. And we, we don't know about ourselves often until we get in positions. So there's assumptions about how I'll act, but once I'm in that situation, I may act differently. And, and, and not having kind of some patterns that I'm used to in those situations, a template, if you will, that sometimes we as Muslims kind of share, a template on how things should go. Um, it can get problematic. I guess I'm like, I'm having a hard time understanding where the mainstream idea that it's halal came from, if the ayah still says like... What, what's halal? Like, for Muslim men to marry non-Muslim women. Well, you know, Sayyidina Omar, he stopped it. So you're saying there are opinions that say it's haram. It goes back to his question earlier. The idea is Islamic law static, polarized. Does it adapt? Does it move? So, for example, the Indian ulama during occupation were like, you cannot marry British women. Right? As a reaction to being colonized. Right? That's something that's been out there for years. I think also we have women that have married non-Muslim men. Like, we shouldn't kick them out of the community. They still have a faith community. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's an interesting discussion. Yes, ma'am. Sorry, I would just like to add, I guess, that, that um, also I've heard, like, kind of the opposite logic kind of used because there are a lot of single women that they can marry other people. The problem is there is you don't have any, like, fuqaha to support that but it's there. So it kind of goes back to his, his situation. No, yeah. My thing isn't like the actual like ruling. It's just the ayah. I'm trying to read it. 
already restricted it to men. I'm just, I'm not defending it. I'm just saying you right. did. But the, again, throughout time, you had scholars saying, first of all, people very Islamic law barely got into who people married. This is us now. We're very nosy. We up in people's business. Like, yo, who you married? Like, why you care? You know, you didn't come to the wedding. Where's my gift? Right? And then people are like, oh, okay. Right? And then, and then secondly, these opinions that both of you are mentioning now have outside of that one, which is very recent, this one has always been changed, always been adapted. Uh, Sayyidina Omar was like, we have a lot of wonderful sisters. You guys are doing this. This ain't no. And he put a stop to it. Very clear. I just, I just worry. So when we give this type of advice to people, I think we have to be very careful that we're not telling people, like, ultimately the decision you have to make. This is what the religion says about it. You're a free person, like, you're still my family. It's not an issue of I hate you. I think that's sometimes where the kind of irresponsible language comes in. And then you, you deal with women that have been single for 20 or 30 years in America or whatever, and brothers that have been single. And they're like, look, I'm, I, got, I need companionship. I'm, I'm, you know, loneliness is the second leading cause of death after, like, smoking. Man. People out there lonely, right? So... Up there, heart disease. So, you've got real challenges. But the opinion that you mentioned, to be honest with you, is something that came five years ago from people who are not recognized as not just by men, by women, as being authoritative, reliable sources. Yes, sir. Uh, two things. One, second one question first is just a uh, observation. Question. One of the issues that I was always like contemplating was on scalability. Bitcoin? This is 8,600 bucks right now. Should have mined that like five years ago. It was like a dollar. It's halal, by the way. I know that's the next question. Next question. Cryptocurrency is allowed. You can give her email address to Yeah, Like 45 Focusing only on those meanings and they're reinforcing their own belief systems 
then there's no way out of it until you get the knowledge. But unfortunately, people don't seek knowledge. And so I just was wondering, like, how you solve that question. I mean, and also, if I say something wrong, please always feel free to correct me. Knowledge is not accessible, bro. Like, it's just not accessible. Like, is it really that big a deal that you have any mom on Snapchat asking questions, answering questions? Like, I got a call from freaking the Atlantic. They're like, when do you like an article on you? Because, like, you're on Snapchat answering questions. I'm like, how many Christian preachers are on Snapchat? How many rabbis are on Snapchat? How many gurus? There's, like, these gurus I follow, man. They're, like, doing yoga. <laughs> like, legit on top of mountains on Snapchat, dude. <laughs> like, like, this is amazing. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, 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 we, we have a, a lot of challenges. And one of them is, how do we define a religious educator within the parameters of America as a Muslim community? Well, it also has a psychological effect. It's like I was saying, I was seeing the world according to that. I was seeing my yeah. relationships according to that verse, and I just see these youth who are listening to this land of war, land of peace. Are they actually seeing the world Yeah. And, and, and let me finish the definition. How do we do that in the parameters of America without capitulating to white culture? Right? Double consciousness, those brothers and sisters studied, you know, great black thinkers in America, the idea of double consciousness really impacts our community. Am I Muslim? I'm American. Right? And then for some of us, it might be like, am I Oklahoman, Muslim, American? And, and, and these are challenges that are not easily navigated. And here's the second thing, man. Scholarship is not always the answer, man. We, I'm not going to be right all the time. Right? And, and, and Khalid is not going to be right all the time. And we're going we're gonna to screw up. We have to. That way Allah can reinforce who we need to trust. But there needs to be that conversation when, like last week when you told me it's no longer conflict resolution, this conflict transformation. I was like, man, I learned like I learned something from that. You know what I mean? The other sister, I don't know, Siri was like, you know, this is about the potential of a believer killing somebody. You know what I mean? Like those are the conversations that we need to learn from each other. Um, and I, I just think we're in a we have a great opportunity as a community. I don't think we're in a disaster mode. I, I see a lot of passion for education. Um, and then and then let's be honest, man, seventy to sixty percent of American Muslims don't even go to the mosque weekly. Right? But that doesn't mean that they're not passionate. I, I, I was at a gym once, okay? And, and there was a brother there who smoked a lot of weed. And he was a trainer. So I used to be scared, like, I'm not asking this dude to spot me. <laughs> <laughs> this dude's going to kill somebody, man. Okay? And then this guy at the gym, the, the like, Fox News is on, and he was like, these Blee, blee, Arab mother. And then he was like, what? My, and he was Muslim. The dude, the dude that smokes like mad blunts is lit at the gym. His name, I can't say it, is a religious name. And then I was like, yo, I didn't even know you were Muslim. And he's like, well, who are you? You're white. You can't be Muslim. <laughs> no, he's a, your name is William. I said, no, man, I converted, dude. And then he's like, Yo, like, he's mad passionate about Philistine, Al-Balad, you know, he's just not connected. And then we, like, we had a conversation, and then he, he's, like, plugged back in. He's not, he wasn't a bad guy, you know what I'm saying? So, like, let's not even talk about educating people who show up. 
Let's talk about educating people mm-hmm. who ain't around. So there, there's a great opportunity. I think people like the sister you said in the UK, it's a great idea. Um, but the, the, education is a serious thing, right? And when we're talking about educating the community, you're talking about strategy. You're talking about money. You're talking about investment. You're talking about scaffolding. You're talking about evaluation. You're talking about understanding cultural realities of people. Now, everybody, our community, I told people, you want to be imam is basically work on the State Department. Like, you've got to know a lot of different things about people because you're going to say something that's really going to offend somebody. And then you couple millennials with that, and you got to be really careful what you say. No, seriously, because they're much more passionate about the fact that the world screwed them and didn't give the world they promised them. It's true. I don't think millennials are babies. I think millennials are justifiably angry because you said polar bears are going to have ice by the time I hit 20. I, I know, I know, I, I, can, I can temper that, but I got kids that are millennials. I don't want to get beat up. But in general, I think that they were promised a world that in an Obama, no offense, in 2008, hope and everything's going to be great. <laughs> You know, and we, Tupac's song, and now's the song finally happened, right? We got a black president. Everybody's happy, right? And then Obama gets rid of Van Jones two months into his office, and we're like, all these oligarchs up there in the White House. Well, people are justifiably angry. And now, you know, we got the ugly truth. But I, I think there's also a justifiable anger to that. But educationally, that poses a lot of pressure on our community. Right. Any other questions before we Yes ma'am. Yeah, we'll talk about that in the next semester course, but I'm going to answer it now. So the question was, like, what causes you to love Allah and why do you love Allah? More or less, right? Can you flip off of it? Hmm, what do you mean? I don't want to touch that. Why do people hate God? Yeah, they do. All right, fine. Give me a trouble. There's already 12, 10 reasons to avoid me. Here comes the 11th. <laughs> so do you mind if he adds the... You know, second part of the question to your question. He inverted it. Um, so let's talk about the hate of God. I think people hate God, number one, is because um, they have gone through maybe perhaps tremendous trauma or have not been given what they expected in life. And I think that's a challenge that we all go through to a certain degree. I don't think we'd say we hate God, but we may be struggling with issues. And there, there, there could be a host of reasons, so I can't give every answer for that. That's been my experience when I talk to people. Um, not understanding bitterness. Uh, I had someone even was upset with success. <laughs> he, he felt like success is what ruined him spiritually. 
Um, and I think not being able to see properly the world around us, not being around revelation, not being around a, a peer group that reinforces the lenses by which we see the world, right? So, socialization is very much an important part of religion. You are the religion of your friends. I mean, it's crucial, right? Uh, I think why people love Allah, um, first we believe it's from God, of course. Um, but the word love in Arabic is from hub, hub is a seed, right? So if, if we believe that God is transcendent and infinite, then that would be, it would be impossible for all of us to say why we love him. You may love him for a certain reason that I don't see life that way. I may love God for some fruit that I witnessed, like the, the tree, the, the seed gives different fruit is the point I'm saying. And I don't, I don't think it's fair to say like, this is the monolith on why you love God. I will say this though, because you mentioned something that there were some great early people that said like, we don't love you for paradise, we don't love you for the rewards you've given us. You know, most scholars said this is a bad statement. Like, there's a value prop to love. That's why the prophets in the Quran say like, in Surah Al-Anbiya, we love you because of the hereafter. We love you because of this, right? Um, that would be impossible for me to reach that state where I love someone as a human being Maybe you can, God bless you if you get there. I can't get there without there being some kind of relationship. I mean, it's interesting, you know, we'll talk about this too. Scholars said, don't worship Allah because you feel a presence. Because then I may worship the presence. But a greater level is just to know and be confident in enough in my worship that I'm struggling with, that God is pleased with me. You know, whoever does like the most minuscule amount of good will be rewarded for it, be blessed for it. So that's really the higher maqam. If, in fact, some people used to say, don't worship Allah for a high, because a high goes away. Right, so maybe their presence in their life was strengthened by the fact that they were able to read God's presence in their trauma. Maybe that's how their trauma was a blessing for them. I don't know. It's incredible. You know, when when I dealt with some Syrian refugees and they were like, "Why would God do this?" Like, I don't know, man. And they're like, "Is it okay if I ask this question?" I was like, "Certainly. Like, who am I to tell you how to suffer? Like, I can't tell you how to suffer now. I'm not in your position. I can only be here for you." I don't know if I have an answer to that. I think people find meaning and find God, especially in difficult times. Um, that's just how life works. Kind of. Yes, ma'am. Like, yeah, I had a relative who couldn't walk anymore. So I asked her, like, 
like, what is it that you value now? And she was like, you know, like, just going to turn off the light. Like, it's something you just do. You don't think about it. Getting up and grabbing the remote. Like, I can't do that anymore. So that's like, that, being able to do that would be like Jannah to that person. You know, so maybe when they compare that, right? I think another thing is like, that's why sometimes opulence is a, is a greater test than being challenged. Um, and it goes back to his, his question, like, can I get this without being challenged? <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's why the Prophet said, You know, when he thought about being an orphan, thought about being in the single family situation, thought about all his loss, he said, Allah taught me. Like, I, I learned early on. And, and, and I think, you know, we shouldn't punish ourselves for blessings. You know, I mean, they're there. But we should always think about how we can use those blessings properly. Right? And, and not allow blessings to turn into a sense of guilt. Like, Allah put us in situations for great wisdom. Trusting the process is sometimes harder. Yes, in the back, yes, ma'am. That's very nice. And always feel free to chime in. Like, it's not a, you know, like, I'm glad you said that. It's nice. The leaves got to fall off so they don't die. You got to lose something sometimes. Yeah, I mean, Imam al-Muhasibi says something really nice. He said, if you're doing what pleases Allah, Allah is pleased with you. Because we believe that doing what pleases Allah is from guidance, from hidayah. You know? Um, and it goes back to the quote we started it with. If you want to know how important you are to God, ask yourself His importance to you. Right? None of this, as we said early on, means like i got to be perfect at this. That's not what we're asked. Um, Imam al-Maqdisi in his commentary on Ghazali's work says, all these things should be taken in moderation. Right? So guilt with opulence should never become counterproductive. Right? Just like happiness with trials <laughs> should never become, like, I've been through this, so I'm good. Right? No. I've been through this so that I can, like, perhaps have more empathy for other people. Maybe I can become now, like, a router through my own trauma to help someone else. <coughs> Right? So it's all in the middle. So doing what God is pleased with and being good to people are generally the two greatest signs that Allah is pleased with us. Yes, sir? So I just wanted to add a thought on the two sisters that were talking about um, sure. about that topic. Because one of the thoughts that I really like thinking about is that at the end of the day, we're just trying to climb a mountain. 
so I think we don't talk enough about how um, how you love God and how you get to it is can be different than that's fine. You can go through your daily life and really appreciate how how the trees are and love God that way, and you can go through immense suffering and love God because you know you're thinking there has to be a better uh, retribution, and that's the afterlife, and that's what I'm focusing on. So you can focus on this, you can focus on that, probably a million other things that you can focus on. You're talking about a transcendent reality. Right? In fact, we shouldn't even say reality. We're talking about something that's transcendent. So the way we love something that's transcendent is infinite. So again, like defining the love of God through a monolith, except when it comes to like observing the fard, right? You know, I should do that out of love if I can. The, the, the religious injunctions that are part of being a submitter to God, that's a sign of my love. Right? It should be, ideally. Sometimes it's not. But the way that we show that love, Ya'qub said, Udhulu abwab Go through different doors. It said, go through the same door. So maybe Lupe loves God through lyricism. You know what I mean? Maybe someone else loves Allah through being a lawyer. I know a guy who, you know, went to Berkeley Law and then decided to become a public defender. People are like, you're crazy. You went to Berkeley Law, do corporate law, make it pay. He's like, but I love to be a public defender. <laughs> found pleasure in it. And I think that's a great dua to make. Is like, you know, give me the insight to find something that I love that I can project my love to you through it. My passion through it. And that's a process, man. That doesn't happen overnight. You were saying something else also. You had something else you were going to say? Yeah. Okay, awesome. Yes, brother. Uh, so this kind of going back to like facing challenges. Like, how do you know when like, you're facing the challenge No, you can't know that. I mean, if you're faced with a challenge, and you, how do you know that that's like a test for you to get better, or God is telling you to stop? I don't know. I, mean, I think that's very hard to answer. I, I would say that as long as someone is passionate about doing something that they can probably do, even if they have to work hard for it, that passion is a sign of like their risk. But if I look at all the optics and I talk to people around me, and they're like, no, Suhaib, you can't do that. And, and, and that's why I say that we should always couple assumptions about God with research and empirical kind of investigation. Like, I should ask people around me, man, do you think I should stop? I've been at this for a while. Like, you know me. That's also part of that process, right? Because everything's from God. So it's not just me one-on-one -on -one in my bedroom, like, yo, should I really, like, try to, like, try out for the Knicks next week? <laughs> You know, I think I can. I got the passion. <laughs> and I asked my wife, she'd be like, you got class on Tuesday nights. You got class on Thursday nights, right? So tempering sometimes. Or maybe the opposite. I don't think I can do something. But then people around me are like, you know what? I think you can do that. Right? So there's the metaphysical component of prayers, istikhara, right? Asking God's help, trying to understand God's plan for me, which is very difficult for all of us. And then, like, coupling that with, like, people around me who know me, who understand me, who can temper either way I'm thinking. I think that's very important. But I, I feel in my life when I see all the doors closed and there's a lot of hardship, I tend to be like, maybe this is a sign for me to step back, you know, and look for other avenues. 
Yes, sir. How do you think it's the best way or good approach to find a balance between uh, the world you like specifically work and being, uh, for example, um, you know, like nowadays the work schedules have become more and more demanding because of the ability to work yeah. remotely, work from home, and right. uh, there are two things to that. One is it's gonna be the last question, by the way, because it is eight thirty. Sorry. So one is like, for example, like at this time of this session. I could have done an assignment and it could be a tool that I want. I have I I picked this over that. You will see that I I'm taking extra time to get back to him. And on his mind he doesn't understand that I'm practicing the reason my fit is important for me to engage in this. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's something just which I'm slipping on unprofessionally for doing this. And on the second second part of the question is in your job I didn't understand the first question. Sorry. Can you, can you make it like quick? The question. Yeah, sorry. sure. So that way I can is, focus. Like you, you cannot do everything, and you cannot. Yeah. How do you balance? Happy. How do you balance? So doing it. Do and then second, when you have your time, and then you have to break during your work day, like basically your company which you work for, they own your time between a certain periods. Uh, if you're taking out time for the month, is that how do you justify taking out time for the month in terms of? There's a conflict between using your time for the Yeah. So, so the first question, I think that we'll talk about again next week, next semester, in the book that we're going to do. But um, I think one of the best ways to judge your balance in Dean and Dunya is to stay with the broader mainstream community of Muslims. Nobody talks about this. But like usually, if you're going to function in a mediating institution, you've done something that's kind of balanced your practice. If I'm like a heathen with impunity, I'm not going to Tarawee. You know what I mean? And if I'm like the religious guy that thinks everybody else is wrong, I'm not going to Tarawi either. Right? So my engagement, if you're if you if you are if you are a jihadist, you're not coming here to pray. Right? Like in Boston, the people that did the Boston bombing did not go to mainstream institutions because mainstream institutions force you to be equalized. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's why Linsky, those of us rules for radicals, let's go. I got my Kaepernick jersey on tonight, <laughs> and it's more than a jersey. Sean, Sean King will be here next week, by the way. But you can't go into, like, mainstream institutions for the most part and, fo and function if you're far right or far left. That's why all those white supremacists are on AM radio. They ain't on Hot 97. They ain't on The Breakfast Club. Right? Because that forces you to kind of conform to the broader set of negotiations a community has. That's what I'm saying. It's good to engage community, man. So if you want to get married, for example. I want to get married. What do you do? Oh, man, I quit my job so I can pray all the time. You're not getting married. You go to the masjid. You want to get married. What do you do? I'll be working, dude, like 85 hours a week. I don't even go home. You're not going to get married. But if you're like... I work, I take care of the business, you know what I mean? I'm paying my rent, got the bills going, Time Warner, not files, but I'm doing good, <laughs> right? You probably gonna get married. So I'm saying, that's why the Prophet said, The community never agrees on misguidance, meaning the broader mainstream community as it is, in many ways helps us. That's why there's barakah in being in a community usually helps us negotiate certain things that make sure we're kind of equalized. This is my point. Um, the second thing is, the life of the Prophet, 
You know, that's the importance of the seerah. The seerah is really about how to balance this delicate relationship between the hereafter and this life. When the Prophet says, you know, your family has a right on you, your soul has a right on you, your soul has a right on you, your family has a right on you, your property, blah, blah, blah. That's about balance. Do we have any questions on Facebook? Awesome. Barakallahu feekum, jazakumallahu khairan. So from time to time, we'll try to just do Q&A and also take your reflections and your brilliant thoughts. Remember that answers don't necessarily happen in a moment. Answers are a process, right? And it takes time to find answers. May Allah bless you guys. Assalamu alaikum.